You may not notice, <laughs> dear listener, but there's been a slight delay to the start of this podcast because Dearest Michael has a new piece of equipment called a Zoom R16 and the instructions are in Japanese. We <laughs> can't work it! <laughs> Bet that gets cut out. <laughs> Welcome to the Wiggly Sofa. If you hear a cockerel crowing in the distance, it's our new cockerel. We'd like to name him, so any ideas would be gratefully received. You can email heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. My next cat is to be called John, but I don't know what the cockerel should be called. Welcome to the Wiggly Sofa, Rach. Hello, everyone. And welcome, Garby. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Welcome, Farmer Phil. Hello. There's no Ricardo because guess where he's gone? Where? Fishing. Fishing. (laughs) (laughs) What a guess. This week's show, we're going to review for you our local rag, the Hereford Times. Apparently, it's a bestseller. It was going well at the shop at Madley this morning. Big piles were going down. Everybody got one in their arms. We thought we'd like to share with you the agricultural news from the Hereford Times. What issue is it, please, Rach? Okay, this is from Thursday, October the 15th today, and it's 65p. Bargain. We're going to have a feedback moment on the Wiggly podcast from iTunes. We're going to learn about truffle trees, and we're going to hear all about the poachers that visited last evening. Was it you, Rach? Because weren't you out with a lamp the other night? (laughs) It definitely wasn't me last night. I was well tucked away in bed, but I have been out with a lamp. The You're not night. a poacher, are you? No, 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 certainly not, certainly not. We were out genuinely trying to catch the odd foxy. Unfortunately, I was asked to go along, but when I thought, oh, I haven't been out for ages, I'll go with them, I realised why they'd asked me. It was to open and shut all the gates. <laughs> oh, but you're a better shot than your husband. Yeah, I know. But the thing was... Let it was not let use co- the rifle anymore. No, it was that. cold and I was tucked up in my coat on the back seat and every now and then they'd say, get out and open this gate. Close that one. What, what vehicle are you in? How does it work? What, what's the plan? Okay, we, we were out... I've got a picture in my mind of like a safari and you're in a camouflage Land Rover with a gun pointing out Heather, the top. please, you're in Brevardine. Oh, <laughs> what is it like? No, no, it's not like okay. that at all. <laughs> now, we have a fairly rustic Daihatsu. Oh. Um, rustic, which... <laughs> and the first four letters are the important yes, ones. Yes, absolutely. Which is great for going out and about um, shooting with during the season. There is one person driving who shines the very strong light, which is run from the battery of the vehicle, and another person with a rifle. Of course, I am gate opener and shutter. So I go out, open the gate, we enter into the big fields, and if we see anything with the bright eyes of a fox, then the person with the rifle loads up, points it towards it, and fires. But you never shoot any deer. I think he misses quite often. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> no, we're good, the critical point is that a fox's eyes shine out, you know, that you can't miss them when you no. shine a torch on them. Well, that's the same as a cat. How do you know you're not shooting a cat? Well, that's the skill in it, is yeah. that you have to correctly yeah. identify what you're looking at yeah. before you start. I and suppose other... a cat's eyes would be nearer together. The other thing they do, which, of course, I've missed out, is they have a, like a little squealer, which they put in their mouth, and it's like a whistle. They whistle through it, and it imitates a rabbit squealing 
and so the fox is drawn to it. So you get it even closer to you and you are 100% sure that that is a fox. Some people can make the noise in their mouth. Pussy, Mm. who bags our birdseed, he can squeak a fox. So he'll go into a field and he might not see a fox and he'll squeak and he can draw them out of the covers to come and see what's going on. Right, well I promise, dear listener, that I will go out and get Pussy to squeak. So any foxes that are about when you're listening to the podcast, they will be attracted by the squeak and then you can do whatever you wish (laughs) with them. Obviously, what we don't want to do is have a podcast annihilation of foxes, but you will know by now, dear listener, that it's so important for there to be some management of the countryside. I presume... You love foxes, really. I think they're really pretty. And to see them cubs playing and everything is quite a sight to see. But as you say, they have to be managed. and that's They're also they highly intelligent. I think they're mm. great how inventive they are to get over problems. So they can climb. They'll climb fences if they have to. They can dig. Yeah. They're very, very clever animals. Yeah. At this time of year, maize seems to be their favourite thing to be in. Mm. They love the maize because it's tall, they can't be seen. <laughs> Mostly they because can... all the pheasants are in the maize yeah. at this time of year. <laughs> they true. do have a bit of a problem though, don't they? In the um, <clears throat> BO department. It's not BO, is it? That A dog fox marks his territory with the musk, the smell of fox, which is one smell. That is the smell that you can smell. A bit more explanation, Phil. I know that when the dog has been anywhere near something... Ah, but that's a different different thing. The dog will roll in the fox muck, which is quite revolting. It is. (laughs) In the tail of a fox, they have a musk gland, and uh, they will mark their territory by rubbing that on twigs and stones or whatever... Very often, when you're going around, you'll hear somebody say, oh, I can smell a fox. Yeah. Uh, that smell is the musk gland. and they. My dad off. did that once, <laughs> but unfortunately, it was the vet's new aftershave. It was. And I kept saying to him, don't, Dad, leave it. And he's going, I can, girl, I can smell a fox, I can, I can, I can smell a fox. And I said, no, no, Dad. And the vet was trying to treat the sheep and my dad got close as close to him and he said can you smell a fox <laughs> and the man said no no i can't i can't smell a fox and when he went i said dad it wasn't a fox it was the vet's new aftershave and he said was it <laughs> <laughs> usually the, the fox uses his musk gland to mark his territory and he'll also urinate Okay, so what is he saying? No other foxes come in here because I need to kill the animals in this area? Or is he saying, I want a new girlfriend? It can be all sorts of things, but essentially they are fairly territorial. But there is a bit of overlap and so on. Then it's not as if you'll have dog foxes fighting each other over vixens. They just mark where they are to let you know what's going on. Foxes are quite clever. I mean, conversely, a vixen with cubs won't kill within a close area of her set, of her earth. They go away to kill. So that very often, if you've got a fox's earth in a field, you can have rabbits and hares and pheasants in the field completely safe. Why? Field next door, because it would lead a predator to the cubs. So that she will go further away... And this is why... Foxy lady. Yeah. Foxy lady. And she'll go and kill away and bring it back to the earth or if the cubs are old enough they'll go with her it why is the fox earth i i mean i know a badger set is called a badger set and the whole it's all in the ground and yet a fox is home is called an earth 
It's very confusing because occasionally you'll get foxes using redundant badger sets. But the way to tell is if you stick your nose in a hole in the ground, if it doesn't smell of much at all, then it's a badger set. And if it, smells of fox, then obviously it's a, a fox. And, of course, if it's a small hole, it's a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so best not try go down it. Tell us about the incident of the eyes. Oh, yeah. Well, often you read in the papers and you hear on the news and things that wild cats are seen. Big wild cats now. And so we were out and we saw some eyes which blatantly weren't, was not a fox. And they were looking at us, these eyes. They just turned away from us and gently creeped down into like a, like a swampy, marshy area and went away. And we couldn't get any closer because, of course, it was quite marshy in that. And these little eyes, they were definitely not a fox. Did you and they see weren't the a rabbit. shadow of the beast? It, it appeared to have got a long tail. Oh. And so... We were very unsure of what it was, and we went round this swamp area, tried to get it again in the lights, and we could not get it again in the lights. It just went slowly down into the marsh area. The beast of Bredwardine. Yeah. I was going to say, forget the beast of Bodmin. I know. This is Bredwardine's beast. Well, they do. Lots of people have taken photographs, and they've never actually been confirmed as being anything like a black panther or anything like that. Trouble is, the one thing it's one thing to take a photo of it, but it's trying to get a photo of it with something that gives you a a suggestion of scale. Because if it's just at a long distance in a green field, it's very difficult to know whether you're looking at a large cat or something bigger and that's why yeah. a lot of the photos are sort of partially discredited because they're all through television Look, right. <laughs> was it a pussycat <laughs> no donker. it definitely wasn't a pussycat it was larger than a pussycat there much larger Farm uh, it, it was sort of fox size but it was not a fox because the eyes were not a fox and you saw its longer tail Oof. cheetah not in bread dine okay <laughs> Listen, exciting day coming up at Weekly Wigglers. Jesse Norman is coming. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of confusion where Michael thought this was the great opera singer, <laughs> but it's not. It's the Jesse Norman, which is the Conservative candidate for Hereford. And I'm going to ask him about rural broadband because he's passionate about that. But we've got all the candidates coming around now for anyone who's interested in the UK election period. They come round and they try, I suppose, and nurture small business just at this moment in time. So we've got the Liberal Democrat coming, we've got the Conservative candidate coming, and we've not heard from the Labour one, and it's just as well, because we don't want him round. It's a her. Oh, oh, sorry, is it? I hope we have the Green Party round, that would be lovely. Anyway, not that I'm biased, and this isn't the party political podcast. I was going to say, Wigley's goes political. (laughs) Well, anyway, so that's later on today. Yes, so he's coming around. I'm going to try and get us an interview on the podcast about rural broadband because they've come up with an amazing scheme, liaising with Allpay, which is a large Hereford company. I'm not quite sure what they do, but they seem to take payments and make credit cards and do all sorts of technical things. Anyway, the point is... They're going to put a big proddy thing on top of churches. Well, notably Hereford Cathedral. And they phoned up yesterday, Phil, to see if there was somewhere up in our wood on Stockley Hill that they could put a big proddy thing. Or would it have to go on the sheep pastures? And I said that you would phone them back. I did ask them if it could go on a tree, and they said, not if you're going to chop it down. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, this is for broadband only. Yes. What, what else do you want? Well, I was thinking, was they going to make dual use of it and get the could uh, they fix mobile, my, mobile phone companies? Could they fix my mobile phone signal while they were at Absolutely, it? Absolutely, because we do. Rural problem, have, one of our rural problems is mobile phone signals. We must share with you yesterday's moment in the Wiggly office where BT, for some reason unbeknown to themselves or us, decided on a whim to transfer every call from Wiggly Wigglers to my, Heather's, personal mobile. <laughs> now, bear in mind, the only way you can get a signal... Well, you'd have never noticed that, would you? Because you never answer it anyway. Well, all of a sudden it started to, you know... It vibrated. It started to vibrate, because I don't have it on sound, because I wouldn't remember. And anyway, to get a signal, you have to hang out of the window, leaning to the left... And there was all these people <laughs> in. So in the end, we had to put Gareth on a seat outside the window, who then shouting in to phone customers back on our phones. And we had how many hours, Rich? We had several hours of this until we realised what we should do, of course, is divert it to another phone. And when that one rings for five seconds, if it's not answered, it's diverted to another phone. So now we've got diverts going all around the office <laughs> of mobile phones so that we can get all the incoming calls I think it did work it sounds to me like another classic example of BT hash fail Hmm. absolutely let's have a read of our latest iTunes review five stars thank you very much Wiggly fan from Yorkshire she says top class podcast one of the top highlights of my week. It gets my ironing done a lot quicker listening to the wonderful bubbly Heather, thank you, and the boisterous boys, Ricardo and Farmer Phil, putting the environment to rights. In the process, I have learnt so much from their fun-filled discussions and guest interviews. I've listened to every single podcast. Another one scarred for life. And to me, they just get better and better. That's nice. I always wonder if they're as good as when we started and blah, blah, blah. Love all things Wiggly. The products, the catalogue, the website, the videos, but the podcasts are my favourite. Damn, damn, damn. Bye, bye, bye. (laughs) Keep up the good work and good humour. Happy Wiggling, Yorkshire Wiggly fan. I've realised that I've decided she's a girl because she does the ironing, but she could be a boy. What do you think? Does Farmer Phil do the ironing? He does when his shirt is crinkled. (laughs) And he's going somewhere. (laughs) Okay. I don't believe in ironing, do you? It's a waste of time. Waste of time. Yeah, I met somebody once who ironed their knickers. Trick is, <laughs> Rage do, glosses uh, over that. I know then. all about the ironing. You don't have to do any. You do the washing all in one big pile. So then it dries all in one big pile. All you have to do is fold it and push it hard into your drawers. And when always take from the bottom. It's oh, that's very good. <laughs> Thank you for that handy hint. What a wonderful <laughs> wiggly chip for all you potential <laughs> ironers out yeah. there. Explains a lot, Rach, looking at you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Buy knitwear. Don't worry about it. For those of you who've worried in the past about me using the tumble dryer, I'd like to make an announcement. Farmer Phil, what have you done this weekend? I have put you up a washing line. New washing line. Hooray! And the main news that I've got for you is, do you remember me buying the eggs off... Wow, right on cue. eBay. (laughs) 
of my light Sussex hens so that, so that my common hens could sit on them and then I could hatch new chicks. And then the idea is that I would eat the cockerels and the hens would lay more eggs. I remember. What a good idea. Every day I went and looked. And after a few days, well, about 21, there was one dead chick. What happened? Don't know. Nothing happened after that. The eggs just didn't hatch. The hens got really depressed. Well, she had no babies. Did you break open the eggs to see if there were any chicks in the other ones? No. I don't think there were. No. They'd gone wrong. But it wasn't a very good hit rate. One dead chick out of 12 eggs. No. So anyway, Rob came. I swapped him some seeds. You know, some of our leftover veggie seeds. Yes. And he came and said, for those seeds, I've got you a present. I'm going to bring you one of my cockerels, and they happen to be light Sussex. And yesterday he turned up with the most gorgeous-looking bird I have ever seen. He's proud. He's got a lovely black tail, and he thinks he's something else. You've met him? No, I haven't been around to see him yet, but I've heard him many a time. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just out in the garden now. Anyway, I let him out with the girls... And he didn't really understand how to approach the job. So he kept calling them all day and they took absolutely no notice at all. And when I went out in the evening to shut them in, all the girls were in, but not the new cockerel. And there he was wandering around on the gravel patch near the pond. So I phoned for help and along came Windsor from Wales, (laughs) not Prince Charles, and, and Farmer Phil. Farmer Phil? The phone call came through. You've got to come now. Tea's ready. By the way, liver and onions. That's not the point. The cockerel (laughs) won't go to bed, and so I thought, oh no, we're going to have three hours chasing a cockerel around the garden trying to catch (laughs) it and put it in its shed. And so I thought, oh well, if we don't try and catch it, it'll just get eaten by the fox, and that'll be that. And so we ventured out into the garden, and it's by now pretty much totally dark. Lucky, 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 the cockerel, being mostly white, sticks out like a sore thumb. So after some hunting about, we found him hunkered down by the garden wall. He'd gone to roost for the night on the floor. And what amazed me was that I could walk up to him and pick him up. And I'd been out and chased him around the garden for half an hour. Hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, he was ready to go to roost. Yeah. So, he? having picked him up, I was then able to install him in the shed with his girls. And by the sound of it, he's had a good night because he's <laughs> in good voice this morning. What you normally do is shut them in for about three days so as he recognises that's his home. Oh. And then you let him out. Just that bit too late there. Yeah, right. sorry. Moving on, let's go to the Hereford Times, our local rag... To review it. It's just like on the Andrew Marr show, isn't it? Here we go. So the first headline is, and I'm keeping to agricultural ones here, that a tractor driver hit a bus, then killed a man in Herefordshire on the A49. The A49 is just notorious, isn't it? Dangerous road. In fact, Hereford's one of the worst places for traffic safety. And it's not me. (laughs) Either. (laughs) Why is that? They've put up some soft verges signs in Herefordshire now. God knows. So, so where we have ditches, as normal, and we never have walls down the side of roads, they've decided to put up some signs saying well, soft verges. I also noticed that given that the roads around here, most of them have, have been in existence since the sort of 
1600s, there or thereabouts. But I think it was last year, might have been the year before, down by the river, they put up some very plush signs saying, road liable to flooding. And I thought, <laughs> oh, there's a handy thing, isn't it? If the hedges disappear <laughs> yeah. into a large area of water, you might imagine that the road is flooded. Rachel and doesn't only want to talk the postman and the school bus are prone to carry on at that point. No, and Rachel. Oh, and Rachel. Mm. She carried on with the Skoda. Do you want to talk about that, Rachel? No. Exactly. There's a man's na- hand was nailed to a pallet at Pontrilus Timber and Builders Merchant. None but of these are very positive stories. I'm afraid not. <laughs> but they've, they've spelt this incorrectly, and so it says Pontrilus Timber and Beulius Merchant. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but Can this you not come up with a, something that we haven't done incompetently in Herefordshire? Anyway, the court heard the employee was operating an automatic wooden pallet-making machine on March 28th last year. When it started unexpectedly, drawing his right hand in and trapping it beneath a beam of nailing hammers, it then nailed the man's hand and wrist to the top of the pallet. Here's the next one. I'm afraid it's another negative on the agricultural front. It's a a couple are banned from keeping sheep and cattle. Oh, dear. They failed to dispose of 31 sheep carcasses. Gosh, I didn't think things like that happened anymore. Afraid they do, you know. And it comes down to the basic fact of the matter is that it now costs money to dispose of them. That's the long and the short of it. The extra cost of disposing of dead animals doesn't feature highly on the list of things to do. Do you know what? They were only ordered to pay £500 in costs. That's shocking, that is. But they have to do 150 hours, well, a total of 270 hours unpaid work. And they're banned from keeping sheep and cattle forever. Oh, no, for 10 years. Oh, heck. <laughs> and Bournemouth's... Yeah, and more bad news, Bournemouth's Axis 65 jobs. Now, what's that all about? Because there's apple orchards going up everywhere. People are drinking more cider. And Bournemouth's is our absolute flagship company of the county. Uh, lastly, let's hear the abattoir story. Nightmare, isn't it? Yep. So we've, what? we've only got one significant abattoir in Herefordshire left. All the others have closed down over the last few years. When you say significant, we've got other abattoirs. We've got ab- other abattoirs, but they're little abattoirs usually associated with a butcher's shop. So where we send the pigs at, at Lentmadine, Griffiths at Lentmadine, is a small abattoir, absolutely 110% in terms of how it does it and what it does, but you're not going to have lorry loads of stock going through there because it's just designed for small throughput. Same as Ensers, is it where you take your... Um, no, Ensers are a bigger. big outfit. They're very big. But they're not in Herefordshire. Oh, I see. They're Gloucestershire. I see. There are, there are little avatars around and about. There's one up at Talgarth, which is just outside of, of Herefordshire, which is not very big. Anyway, but we did have an avatar. We had an avatar at Webley, Williams of Webley, and it would appear that over the last X months or years, it had been getting itself into the financial doo-doos, and it finally seems to have gone all completely wrong, where the owner of the abattoir donated it uh, in lieu of his debts, and the whole thing seems to have folded up in a mess. Read it out in the paper, Rach. I want to know what the signs say. Workers at R.E. Williams & Sons, Webley, wanted answers, having gone more than a month without pay... These yeah. poor people. Basically, they're all stood there with their plaques 
um, saying no pay, no management, uh, time we were noticed, three weeks, no pay, and what now? So they're all there outside demonstrating away, I would assume just wanting to be paid and given answers for what is actually happening there. But for them, they, they have to turn up to work to qualify them for any handout when the insolvency people have had a go. But also there are a number of farmers who've supplied animals to the abattoir who've not been paid for them. Of course, and, many farmers And some have. of them are owed large sums of money, which again, most farmers you know, can well do without in these mm. times. Well, the knock-on effects from that will be terrible. It's disastrous in many ways, but one of the main things is that we now have no standard animal slaughtering facility within the county. So the idea of eating local food and, and supplying local food has taken a fairly final hit because we can't even slaughter it in the county. And this is a carry-on of some fairly ridiculous health and safety rules and regulations handed out by the government and the councils mm. which have taken out of business all the smaller abattoirs. I mean, it wasn't so very long ago, I can remember, when most towns had some sort of an abattoir within the town and some had more than one. And they've all been closed down because of the traditional methods that they operated in which were declared unhygienic. We used to take ours to Erdsley. Most towns and even villages had them. Did you ever send your cattle to Webleyville? No. Thank you. Um, if anyone out there has Norman's story, this is my last bit out of the Hereford Times. This is from Jean Norman in Stanhope Street in Hereford, and she says this. My husband, Norman James Owen, passed away in July 2008. He'd written his life story, and he'd put it on loose sheets of paper in a folder. Norman gave it to someone to read. Whoever borrowed it, could you please return it to me? So if any one of you, dear listeners, whether you're in California, New Zealand or Hereford City Centre, if you've got Norman's story, could you please let us know or give it back to Jean in Stanhope Street in Hereford? Wouldn't that be nice if our little podcast gave Norman's story back to Jean? Oh. Anyway, truffle trees. That's all I want to know about. Truffle trees. Well, our new catalogue will be landing on doorsteps very soon. And it's packed full of new products. I love this catalogue. This is the best catalogue we've done since the pig's bum. She says this, listener. Every (laughs) catalogue. I do. (laughs) How how does trees relate to chocolates? Ah, not that sort of truffle. No, not that sort of truffle. But I like chocolate truffles. You go and buy some, Phil. Yeah, there we go. Come on, mate. Okay. What page is it on? I've selected from um, the catalogue my favourite thing that's in there, and it's on page 56 and 57, and it is truffle trees. Have you ever tasted a truffle? No, that's the only thing. I just love the thought of the whole thing. You're growing a really great oak tree or hazel tree, so providing home for all those lovely little insects and birds and things but the added benefit of having a truffle to try. So yeah. I know I've never tried it, and the thought of going out with my pig, if I ever get one... Or your dog. Uh, yeah, dogs do it too, yeah. don't they? And trying it's to got dig plenty to truffle. choose from. But would yes. you need a pig or a dog? Because you'd think, I'll oh, dig under the tree. I, as I understand it, the truffles grow at some point on the roots, don't they? So it might not be next to the tree. It, ah, yeah, I see. Oh. Yeah, so that, and also, you don't want them... I don't know whether they grow deep underground, but you don't want to dig... <laughs> Halfway to Australia <laughs> for, your, oh. 
the poor old tree's not going to enjoy that. Perhaps we need a little bit more research, but we've got plenty of time to do it in because you won't get your truffles for about four to five years, which is fine because in the meantime, your oak tree and your hazel tree are growing and um, they're a great thing. They come as a sapling. They are summer fruiting truffles, so summer spores basically. Winter ones aren't suitable for our climate, but these are totally suitable. So I think that they are a great thing. And there's quite a lot of info on the plantation that they come from. And the Dutchie are going to have truffle trees, aren't they? They are. On our farm. (laughs) They they wrote us a letter saying that they had been looking at ways of offsetting their carbon footprint. What did you say, Phil? I said, well, (laughs) if if you let me tell tell the listeners what the letter said, I'll tell you what I said. Okay. (laughs) So basically what they were looking for were areas of arable land that we might be willing to plant to trees. And, of course, we'd got some areas of arable land that were managed um, as set-aside, which we'd sort of retained for wildlife purposes and whatever, and they were in awkward corners. And so we've identified two areas where we're going to plant deciduous trees, some of which will be inoculated with the truffle fungus. Whose Um, idea was that, Phil? (laughs) (laughs) It was mine. What what have you been feeding her on, Rach? (laughs) Hopefully. And so those are going to be planted this winter now. So in in four or five years' time, hopefully Rach will have got the truffle hound trained and off to go. Do you know, I was at a talk the other day and these mail order companies were talking about their customers and it wasn't always positive. You know, it was sort of, oh yeah, and then we sell this and we sell that. And it was, I don't know, I found it quite distasteful, to be honest. And they said, what about your customers? And I said... I love our customers because they're gardeners and they've all, they're always, if you're a gardener, you're always investing in the future. And I felt so proud that they were corking people. And that is a corking product it in is, my yeah, book. Yeah. Because you'll have the pleasure of planting it or giving it to a loved one. You'll have the pleasure of seeing it grow and nurture it. Then you'll have your own pleasure of getting those truffles. But the best thing is, in years to come, you all have left it there. Absolutely. Time to wrap up. There's lots of feedback we've had in on the Cowcast and also lots of positive feedback on Rachel's podcast in Mockersteer Park, which was really special. So if we want to go and listen to that, it's number 196. And the Cow Breeding Podcast is 197. And for feedback, go to our Facebook group, because Simon's written a bit on veal on there, and also Big Norm has written me an email, which I'm going to put up on Facebook, about what he thought of Farmer Phil's cow breeding. And Megan Lynch says, get a Hereford. (laughs) (laughs) We have quite a good time on Twitter, don't we? You can follow um, Heather and I on Twitter. Heather is at Wiggled, and I'm at Farmer, with no E, Phil. Lots of farmers, lots of chefs, lots of food writers and lots of laughs. Bye from me from the Wiggly Podcast. If you want to go to our website, go to www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. Buy your truffle tree, babe. Bye. Bye from me. Bye.